You're listening to Comedy Central. June 27, 2018. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. My guest tonight is a transgender activist and writer and director on the new FX series, Pose. Janet Mock is joining us, everybody. But first, first, yesterday was another big midterm primary day in seven states, with the biggest results happening right here in New York. A Democratic primary surprise shakes up the 2018 midterm elections. 28-year-old newcomer Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez shocked the Democratic establishment by defeating 10-term incumbent New York Congressman Joe Crowley. She's right here. I can't let you She's looking at herself on television right now. Yo, I get it, man. Look at that face. Look at that reaction. It's exciting. And, and I know it's been a tough year for everyone, so in case you forgot, that face means happy. That's what that is, yeah. <laughs> and now, some people might wonder, why does anybody care about a congressional primary race in Queens? Well, first, look at who she beats. Congressman Joseph Crowley, right? He's a top-ranking House Democrat who was expected to one day take over for Nancy Pelosi. In fact, the Democrats saw him as a young leader of the next generation because he's only 56, right? <laughs> you think this is a joke, but it's true. <laughs> the rest of the House leadership are all at least 77 years old. Yeah, yeah. When you ask these people if they've seen Hamilton, they're like, yeah, we used to hang out all the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. And you, you gotta understand, powerful incumbents like this almost never lose primaries. But it gets even more surprising when you learn more about the person who beat him, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Nobody would think that a real BX Puerto Rican girl would be able to run for Congress in New York City. 28 years old, running her first campaign. She's a member of the Democratic Socialists of America. Until last November, she was working as a bartender. I speak like a girl from the block because I learned how to speak Spanish on the street. Yo, this is so amazing, man. Not only would she be the youngest female ever elected to Congress, she'd also be the first member of Congress that talks like Cardi B. Like, this is so dope. <laughs> she's like out there. I love it, and I love that she's proud as well. She'd be like, that's right, we're looking for health care, okay? <laughs> like, can you imagine her up on Capitol Hill talking to Mitch McConnell, be like, oh, I don't think that that's appropriate. She'd be like, don't tell me what you think is appropriate. <laughs> I'm not voting for you or your bullshit. So, not only would uh, Ocasio-Cortez be a groundbreaker, but she ran on a heavily progressive platform that was really popular. Free healthcare, free college education, a federal jobs guarantee, and she wants to abolish ICE. Like, she's so left, she's so left that she makes Bernie Sanders look like Mitt Romney. Like, it's insane. <laughs> and, that's, and that's part of why her victory was such a shock. Right? She's far left, she had no support from the Democratic Party, and unlike her opponent, she had no big money behind her. Nobody expected her to win, especially not Crowley, because he clearly didn't even have a concession speech planned. I respect the outcome of this uh, 
this election. Crowley dedicating the Bruce Springsteen hit Born to Run to his opponent. Yo, that's so embarrassing. No, because you realize he was so confident he would win that he even planned to perform his own Bruce Springsteen concert. Then afterwards, he had to pretend that the song was for his opponent. He was like, yeah, I, I dedicate this song to her. Okay, my next song also goes out to my opponent. All I do is win, win no matter what. Money on my money. I live in the building. Everybody hands go up. Understand that. <laughs> so, for a few hours this morning, progressives were like, hey, maybe the future is not as bad as it seems. And the future was like, oh, you don't know me. Breaking news today, Justice Anthony Kennedy, the crucial swing vote on the Supreme Court for years, is retiring setting the stage for a fierce battle over the future of the highest court in all the land. When Justice Kennedy steps down at the end of next month, July the 31st, the court will be split for liberal justices and for conservatives. President Trump now has the chance to give conservatives a solid majority, one that in theory could last for many decades. That's right, people. Justice Kennedy officially resigned. And the reason this is so big is that Kennedy was without question the most powerful justice on the court. Right? And not just because he can deadlift 650 pounds, but also <laughs> because while he was generally conservative, Kennedy did sometimes vote with liberals, right? He voted in favor of gay rights, uh, the women's rights to choose, and affirmative action. And he was the deciding vote. Now, Trump will likely replace him with a justice who would discriminate and dismantle abortion rights and LGBTQ rights. And that, that sound you're hearing right now, that's Mike Pence having his first orgasm. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I cast you out, seaman! <laughs> yeah, and you know what? That's right. Two jokes about Mike Pence in the same show. The only swing vote on the Supreme Court is gone. Who cares about anything anymore? I'm going crazy, people! Because remember, remember, this is going to be Donald Trump's second Supreme Court pick. Because in 2016, Mitch McConnell stole Obama's Supreme Court pick. And you can hate the fact that Mitch McConnell did it, but the way he did it was super slick, right? He did that shit Mission Impossible style. You know, he's in there, stole the pick, and he was out. And that's the thing we sometimes forget about the Republican Party. Although Donald Trump may be a klutz, and he's the pinky in every situation, Mitch McConnell is the brain. And I know it's sad to think about, I know this news is very painful for a lot of people. It feels like for the next 30 years, America is gonna change in a horrible direction. In some ways, it feels like all hope is dead and nothing can bring it back. But my friend Punch over here is still gonna try. <laughs> we'll be right back. Welcome back to The Daily Show. All week, all week, the big story has been about liberal activists confronting Trump and his senior officials over his immigration policies. But according to some, this anger is just playing straight into Trump's enormously small hands. 
This is a kind of behavior that rubs a lot of people the wrong way. And they say, if you're going to attack a president like this and the, and the people who work for him, I'm simply going to vote against you. This may help the Republicans not lose the House. The more that the, the critics get enraged, the more they drive people towards President Trump. It's a complete gift to Donald Trump. It is helping Donald Trump. If the Democrats and people on the political left keep that stuff up, he gets a, it's a slam dunk for Trump. Slam dunk for Trump. Wow, that's a phrase I never thought I'd hear. The physics just don't seem possible, you know? <laughs> but still, the question is, does liberal outrage at Trump only drive more people to his side? Well, for answers, we turn to our senior civility correspondent, Michael Costa, everybody. <laughs> Michael, this is... This is, this is really confusing. Well, I know it seems confusing, Trevor, but those pundits are absolutely right. It's like when my girlfriend kept accusing me of wanting to sleep with Karen. You know, she brought it up so much that eventually I slept with Karen. <laughs> Again, I had already slept with her. I'm not a great person. I'm just making the point. Wait, wait, what is the point again? The point is, like my girlfriend, all the liberals screaming and shouting annoys people so much it makes them vote for Trump. Well, but wait, isn't there a double standard here, Michael? I mean, like, the president's supporters want civility but he's out there calling people bitches and, and saying that some women are too ugly to assault. He's just telling it how it is. I mean, <laughs> sorry if it triggers you, but it's funny. Okay, but then Robert De Niro saying Trump at the Tony Awards? That's crude, okay? <laughs> that is crude and disgusting. If George Washington saw what's become of the Tony Awards, Trevor, I'm just glad he's dead. Well, I, I, here's the thing. I guess I just don't understand how people could be more offended at language than policies. You know, like how conservatives flipped out when Peter Fonda tweeted that Trump's children should be locked in a cage? And, and how dare he, Trevor? How dare Peter Fonda, the star of Yuli's Gold, the 123rd top-grossing movie of 1997, <laughs> a man with that kind of power say the president's child should be locked up? Yep, but the president is actually locking up children right now. Uh, okay, yeah, so what? Sometimes you gotta lock kids up. But <laughs> to threaten to lock kids up, I just thank God Abraham Lincoln was shot to death before he read that tweet. <laughs> Okay, but, but just so we're clear, this is the same side that cheered on Corey Lewandowski when he mocked a girl with Down syndrome being taken away from her parents. Do you even have jokes in Africa, Trevor? <laughs> Lewandowski wasn't mocking the girl. He was mocking people who think a girl with Down syndrome being separated from her family is sad. But it is sad. If you don't think that, you're heartless. Oh, really, Trevor? You're calling Trump voters heartless? Guess what? They just got 10 more Trump votes right there. Wait, wait, I just got him 10 more votes? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Oh, and now they're stupid, too? Now those 10 people are definitely voting for Trump. Didn't you just say that they were already voting for Trump? They, they might have forgotten. Those people are kind of stupid. <laughs> so, so let me get this straight. If liberals criticize Trump, he'll get more votes. But if they don't do anything, then he wins anyway. So how can they win the situation? Don't ask me. I mean, I had a girlfriend and Karen, and now they've both kicked me out, you know? <laughs> I'm just glad Ronald Reagan is too dead to see this proud American reduced to sleeping in the office of his African boss. Wait, wait. <laughs> wait you're sleeping in my office? Yes, Trevor New, everybody. We'll be right back. Thank you very much. Tonight is a writer, director, and producer of the new FX series, Pose. Please welcome Janet Mock. 
Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back. Um, this is a really exciting reason to have you back as well. Um, the new show, Pose, which is going to be on FX, is a show that is first in, in, in many ways. Um, I mean, I know why I'm excited, but why, what would you say is the biggest reason you're excited about Pose? I got a job. <laughs> <laughs> That's simple. I like yes, that. Yes, yeah, yeah. basically. Um, well, you know, Ryan Murphy created it. He's right, right, a prolific right. showrunner. Shows like Glee, Nip Tuck, of course, um, The People versus O.J. Simpson. Uh -huh. where he won a lot of Emmys and all the trophies. And so when he invited me to Hollywood to have a meeting with him to talk about this show, I was excited by the fact that it would be the first of its kind to talk about the New York City ballroom scene, which a lot of people have known since Paris is Burning. Right. But to also center um, characters and people who have never been centered before, trans women of color. Right. And, and that's what's really fascinating about this story is that you have a show that is set in the 80s, but it's showing you uh, a story in the 80s that many people maybe didn't know exist or many people didn't know exist but just didn't think about. And, and what I found fascinating about watching pieces of the episodes was, was that a lot of people will say about transgender people now that, where did this come from? This is a new thing, this mm. new thing, as if it's like a trend. Yeah. But you go, no, trans people are as old as time. It, was it really important for you to be able to tell these stories as authentically as possible in the 80s? Yeah, I think that there is something about the fact that when you look to the past, you can learn a lot about your present. Um, for me, I saw that you know HIV, AIDS, poverty, um, harassment and violence are things that, you know, they were dealing with in 87 as well right. as today. And so knowing that 26 trans people were murdered in the United States last year, almost all of them women of color, I thought it was important that we memorialize the people who, who we've learned so much from, the people who've contributed so much to our movement, the people who have given me access to be able to be, you know, the first trans woman of color to be hired in a Hollywood writer's room, the first to write and direct a television series, and wow. to be on a television series and to share it with five black and brown trans women of color who are the stars in the center of our show. It's... It's a, it's, a, it's a pioneering show for so many reasons. You know, you, you have uh, five trans women of color who are centered in the story. Mm -hmm. The word centered is so important in this because, you know, I, I read a story on The Hollywood Reporter about how they did a study on um, Latino characters on mm -hmm. TV and they found that half of them were always represented as criminals. Mm. And when you look at stories of the transgender community, it's always a fringe element. You know, in so many stories, it, you know, it's always going to be sex work, or it's gonna be something that seems like it's not in the mainstream. Mm -hmm. Was it important for you to center these people and show the spectrum of life that you can be living? Yeah, I think so often too, we're often always in cisgender stories, non-trans people stories, as a sidekick, as someone who's a martyr who dies in order to teach a cis person about what it means to be real and authentic. Right. And in our show, we center that experience and we don't show the origin stories of our characters. We show them as they're fully embodied, just trans people living in New York City. And with that, you have diversity. You show that trans folk are not a monolith, that we don't have the same dreams and desires, that we read and shade one another, that we can be villains as well as, you know, um, protagonists. Right. Um, and I think that that, for me, as someone who loved television, who grew up as TV being a part of like my babysitter in a single parent household, um, it showed me that I can be Centered, and that I deserve to be seen and heard, and that at the end of the day, this show really is an unconventional family drama. Right, and we see so many stories of people watching 
TV shows or movies mm -hmm. and for the first time seeing themselves on screen. You know, you saw that with Ava DuVernay's Wrinkle in Time. Uh, you, you saw that with Black Panther. You mm -hmm. see it with people going, I've never ever thought of how I've never seen myself. You know, I remember going to watch Wonder Woman with friends and my female friends were like, they were crying during the fight scene because they're like, I've never seen women just kicking men's asses, which is really amazing. <laughs> and you, t you take that for granted, you genuinely do. When you were growing up watching TV, were there any characters or any shows that in some way maybe did make you feel like you know, there was something that you could aspire to, and uh, you know, was there something that, that, that really touched you? Felicity. <laughs> she, was, she really was the reason why I moved to New York City and went to NYU. Right. It was literally because I saw this white girl with curly hair who that is was hilarious. smart and lovelorn and wanted to be with, you know, Ben. That's all I wanted. Right. And, yeah. and so right, now, Team Ben. Come right, on. And, now, and now you're in a place where you're now writing, and I think, do you, do you feel that gravity of, of putting people on screen that identify people out there who maybe have never seen themselves on screen in any way, shape, or form? Yeah, the fact that we have love stories on our show, the fact that we're not just merely points of trauma, right? Because so often trans bodies are usually dead in inactive bodies. And so here we have five women who have different dreams, who have love, who want desire, who want to be desired, right. um, who are funny, who are villains, who are all of these different things. And so in that way, when you center these people on the show, you show people that, number one, it's not scary, that they're not, that they're not horrible people, that they're not freak shows, that instead they're humans that you care about and TV being such an intimate um, platform, you know this, people invite you into their home every night. Right. Um, you know, they get to know you and they love you and they're invested and I hope that it doesn't only educate and inspire or, and entertain, but it also moves people to, to care and hopefully do something. I think it's gonna do all of those things. Thank you so much for being on the show again. Sundays at 9 p.m. on FX. Janet Mock, everybody. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.